The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And right now it's time for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And before we get started, we always do two things with any of our veteran shows or any of our uh, shows that uh, happen to. Okay, we're going to start our our prayer music a little early, but we always start with a silent prayer for our EMTs, our first responders, our veterans, and our active duty folks. So... Let's go into that, and we'll be back in one minute. Thank you. And we also do one other thing for our veteran shows and our uh, EMTs that uh, we want to make sure that everybody's heart is up and beating and ready to go. So, as all of us know, when we were in the service, how important these are. Okay, there we go. If if a Jody doesn't get you going, nothing will. So we've played our Jody, and um, everybody's doing fine. And uh, we've got our host on the air. He's somewhere driving around. I'm not quite sure where, but uh, our host is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And Philip, as always, oh, God. Got to remind everybody, get your paper and pen out, because I guarantee you, Phil will tell you something that you want to write down today. So, good afternoon, Phil. Hey, good afternoon, David, and everybody listening. And they're out there. You know, I was, uh, interestingly enough, uh, last Tuesday, was it uh, Tuesday or Wednesday? I can't remember. Uh, maybe it was Wednesday. Uh, I was having some... Uh, tree work done and uh, the arborist that came out to do the tree work uh, I introduced myself and uh, on his uh, email thing he says owned and operated by a veteran so you know my little eyes and ears perked up that I was going to meet another veteran and so he came out and we got to talking and I said and if you want a feel-good moment, I can give you one. 
And uh, we got to talking, and he said, oh, yeah, I listen to a number of your programs any chance I get. And I said, well, you have a chance anytime you want to because they're all archived. And uh, he was glad to know that. And, uh, you know, he's he's a listener and uh, appreciates what we're doing for our veterans. And uh, we do a show besides Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. All of our shows, in fact, whether they're veteran-oriented or what, have a purpose. We do a, a veteran's place, which is Dr. Don Moeller, a veteran, and uh, he talks about PTSD and the different aspects of it, and he also has a fix for PTSD folks that uh, can't sleep at night. So we, we've got a number of different shows, and we're so fortunate to have Philip Forsberg doing our, and, and the reason we do, <laughs> remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, the name sort of tells the story, is that it's amazing to me we're only 31, 32 years out from Desert Shield, and yet most people on the street would look you, you know, they'd be dead. Dear eyes in the headlights, if uh, you ask them what Desert Shield or Desert Storm was all about, they already have no clue. And I'm sorry, folks, but we can't let we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen with any time any of our people went to war to protect us, to protect our country, and our rights and our constitution. Then we should never ever forget them. So, Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, David. Uh, fresh from uh, my appointment at the VA for chiropractic, and uh, went very well. Well, good. Good. And uh, you're headed home now, huh? I am. Good. I okay, am. well, I don't know how long it takes you to get home, but uh, we'll at least, we'll hopefully... We'll either get the show in or we'll finish it in your driveway. Yeah, well, I'm driving across uh, the Atlanta perimeter right now. Uh, I'll be going from Decatur over to 75, so uh, it, uh, I think we have plenty of time <laughs> okay. before I get home. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you, the, the, our modern technology is absolutely amazing you and i are doing something something right now that when i got into radio one this would have been done with a with a it was sort of a one-way street with a motorola two-way radio and uh, actually we couldn't necessarily always bring it into the board so uh, we could bring telephone calls into the board but we couldn't uh, necessarily bring our our radios in, and uh, we would do, you know, if, if I was covering a wreck or something, uh, depending, most of the time we could bring it in, but not all the time. And uh, it, it took millions of dollars worth of equipment to do some of the editing that we do on just a desktop computer now. And it, it's just... It's amazing, and to be doing what we're doing, just don't let a police officer hear you on the radio as you're driving down the street. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. 
okay. There's nothing to worry about there. Uh, I would like to point out, however, that a great deal of the communication technology that we enjoy, um, you know, of course, the, the Internet was invented by Al Gore, but, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of this technology came as a result of, uh, of military uh, research development. And uh, I can tell you that in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, we did not have anywhere near this level of uh, ability to communicate. Uh, I, I could, uh, right now... You, you don't have your car have, radio on, do you? I do not. Okay. Uh, we're getting we're uh, getting some feedback from someplace. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I could, I could call right now to uh, do my uh, voice-over internet protocol and talk to people in Hong Kong or Vietnam uh, as I'm driving. As long as I'm hands-free, and I am, uh, we can uh, we can do all this stuff today. We had something uh, used an HF radio signal that was uh, sort of cutting-edge uh, communication. It's now the ash heap of history, but they call it the Goldwing radio system. That during the shield storm, uh, and I had to I had to speak to uh, my folks who were uh, embedded with the 101st and the uh, 24th Infantry Division. Uh, I had to speak to them daily to get a status report to update uh, the commander. And uh, you know, it was such a go that uh, sunspots, of course, always. Uh, Excuse the uh, the communications the officer would use uh, why I couldn't get through. Uh, and of course, the boss never wanted to hear uh, anything about uh, communications failure. Uh, but it, it often it often uh, was disappointing. But you know, uh, today. Uh, the, Technology is uh, wonderful, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, through military uh, development. Uh, I, and of course, today there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence, and you know, I, I got to tell you, you know, military is kind of cutting edge on artificial intelligence as well. So, uh, and I happen to have two. Uh, Computer geniuses, uh, new freshly graduated in my house. Uh, they, they tell me all about artificial intelligence, what it can do, what it can't do, and, and uh, what people overestimate about it and what people underestimate about it. It's uh, quite interesting. But, you know, the, uh, the Department of Defense has uh, an agency called DARPA, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, David. But DARPA is, uh, I, I think the acronym stands for Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And uh, what they do is they, they entertain proposals for people that, that have a concept that they want to develop. And uh, so they give them grants to do the research and, and development of these technologies. And once the technology becomes viable, then they... Uh, then DARPA back. 
you know, <laughs> I guess the Navy wasn't watching Bud Light, and uh, I can't believe what the ad that the Navy has put out as a recruitment ad. Have you seen it? Yes. I think it's uh, a travesty. Well, you know, uh, when the uh, when Budweiser or Anheuser Busch went ahead with this uh, with this advertising campaign, it fell flat on its face because you know the, these uh, elitist wokes thought they could drive. Uh, I don't know that they could speak reality into existence. There's only one that I know that can speak reality into existence. Uh, and I guess the, the Navy thought that people would be beating down the doors uh, to enlist or, you know, pursue a career in the Navy. They saw um, a naval drag queen, and uh, yeah, I think this is going to fall flat on its face. Well, I mean, you know, it's horrible because. We absolutely need our Navy. We need all of our forces. And, uh, you know, recruiting is failing by leaps and bounds. Uh, and to implement something like this at this time uh, is exactly the wrong um, message to be sending. Uh, and, of course, I saw the SECDEF and the... Uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs before Congress, utterly shocked that uh, the DOD was sponsoring Drag Queen Story Hour. I had never heard of such a thing. And now to see this just belies the fact that they're a bunch of liars and uh, they're, they're doing whatever, uh, whatever they're instructed to do by the corrupt officials uh, who've been taking money from the Chinese Communist Party to do things specifically designed to weaken our defenses and uh, destroy the fabric of America, uh, the family, uh, the military, uh, anything, law enforcement, anything that uh, provides order for uh, our nation to sound their assault. And it's, make no mistake, it's not uh, its not an action. It's, it's an intention by our adversaries. Right. Uh, on that note, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Phil, we're going to need to take a break, and uh, we'll be okay. back with Phil right after this, talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Hang in there. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearm liquidation service at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at firearm liquidation service at outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. 
Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And as always, we do appreciate you listening to America's Web Radio. And this is Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And it's, you know, I just can't stress the importance enough for people to listen and remember all of our conflicts the korean conflict we only have a few world war ii veterans that are still with us and we're losing our vietnam veterans very rapidly but we need to remember that those that raised their right hand and took the oath to defend our country they they didn't know what all they were sacrificing, and not only did they sacrifice, but their families sacrificed. And those that have given the uh, ultimate, we always pray for their family, and we always support their families, and hope that you'll do the same. And if you see a veteran in an airport or bus station or wherever you might see a veteran, either buy him a cup of coffee or she a cup of coffee or a meal, whatever, but just let them know how much you appreciate their service. And they gave a good, you know, six years out of their life and or they gave a limb or what, you know, they they sacrificed and they need to be remembered for that and thanked for it. And I don't know of a veteran standing in a in an airport or any place else if he's identified as a veteran that if somebody comes up and says thank you for your service won't say you know it was my pleasure or it was it was my duty and the same thing goes for uh, we had the Johns Creek Fire Department out doing the uh, open uh fun raising the other day and uh, thank our first responders whenever you get a chance a lot of times you never even get to see them until something happens but if uh, if you see one someplace in a mall any place just thank them and I, I think a good example of how important our first responders are is a situation that just happened in Dallas or in Allen outside of Dallas where our first responders are taught to run towards the trouble, not away from it. 
this happened in uh, New York, the Twin Towers. You had first responders that probably knew they were giving their lives as they ran towards the Twin Towers. But that's what a first responder, that's what our military does. And I know that Phil would attest to this, that if he got in a in a situation that his troops would run towards him, not away from him. And you count on your friends in the military, and uh, they've got your back, you've got their back. And that's one of the first things you're taught when you go into the military. So, how's the drive going, Phil? Uh, well, it's going well. Uh, how's the doing? Uh, I've still got a little feedback. But Let's see what I can do here. Were you able uh, to pull over? No, uh, this is not a good place to try that. But I will, uh, I will endeavor uh, to find a place. Well, we just so, don't want you to get in any trouble or get hurt in any way. No, no, I, uh, I don't want to get hurt either. <laughs> uh, and, and that went for for Desert Storm as well. I, not, not intending to get hurt. Uh, and I had hoped that, uh, you know, when we went over there, I went, went in September of 1990. Uh, a lot of people in Kuwait had already been hurt, but uh, we were, uh, you know, we didn't know if we were going to come to blows with, uh, with Iraq or if he was going to just heed the warning. Saddam, that is, heed the warning and get out. But, uh, yeah, um, when they didn't, well, we, uh, you know, we had to go to, to hurt the people. It wasn't our, it wasn't our first choice. Um, but, uh, and we, we didn't, we didn't lose very many people in that conflict. I mean, just considering the sheer number, we had over half a million people just deployed there under arms. Um, and uh, for them to uh, suffer so few casualties, it's really uh, just a, a very amazing thing. Uh, so I don't know, uh, but, you know, not getting hurt, you know, I mean, like you said, we, we run to the sound of the trouble. Um, because we know that our job is to right things that have been wrong. And uh, so that's why we do it. And, you know, when you're, and that's the value of drilling, right? You want to drill your troops so that, uh, you know, essentially combat is chaos. But if they, uh, if, if they are drilled and they know what to do in the midst of the chaos, then everything will be ordered and organized and, and they'll do their job uh, just reflexively and uh, that, that's what you need uh, from anywhere from a general down, down to the uh, to the private you need to have folks that uh, you know will, will run to the trouble and will take it upon themselves to uh, be the answer to uh, difficulties that are uh, arising. You know, this is uh, 
something that... Hello, Dave. Yeah, uh, Phil, this is something that is so subtly... Yeah, I can hear you fine, Phil. Are you not hearing me now? Obviously not, folks. Test one, two. Are you there, Dave? Yes, I'm here, Phil. Uh, you know, there's... <laughs> I can hear you just fine, Phil. This is not the place to be doing... You know, I don't know what happened. Uh, we haven't changed anything, so... Uh, all I... You know... Well, okay, Phil just went away from us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have to get Phil back on the line. I, I'm sure he'll call back in, and we'll see if we can go from there. But uh, you know, one one thing that is drilled into you when you go into the service is the importance of taking care of your friends. And if you're out on patrol or you're doing this or you're doing that, and you hear the uh, gunfire start coming in, and uh, Phil, is, Phil is calling back in, and uh, we'll... Uh, well, let me just answer it. Phil, let you... Okay, I don't know. I could hear you fine. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, let me transfer you in. Okay, Phil, we'll try it again. Can you hear me? Phil, can you hear me? Okay, well, we'll go with it. Okay, folks, we got Phil back on the line, and uh, we were just talking about our modern technology. Well, sometimes, uh, like I like I say, sometimes you get the bear, and sometimes the bear gets you. And uh, we, sh I guess, maybe we shouldn't have bragged about our technology. And uh, but we're back into we we have the technology going again. So as I was saying, uh, you know, one of the subtle things that going through basic and AIT and then as you grow in in your military uh, you'll find that subtly the the army or I assume any branch is teaching you to take care of your buddy take care of the person in front of you and if you're out on patrol and uh, you have one squad and somebody else has the other squad and you hear gunfire start up from the other squad then you make your appropriate plans you get on the radio you do your thing and uh, you come to your buddy's aid and you run towards them not away from them correct phil yeah that's absolutely correct uh in fact uh when i was in the infantry uh, we used to have a little saying uh, move out and draw fire uh, which is, you're going to be heading into enemy territory, and the way to find them is to get them to shoot at you. And then we we got them right where we want them, because we know where he is. <laughs> it seems counterintuitive, but uh, 
it was uh, it was the way we pursued things. And uh, you know, this is this is something that uh, people don't appreciate and don't. Well, they don't understand it. They've never been there, never done that. And yet our first responders, our military, uh, they all go through it, and they have to have a mindset. You know, I just, and I'm sure it will come out in some form or the other, but the cop in uh, Allen, Texas, that was at the, discount mall and heard a gunshot and immediately he was trained so well that immediately he started running towards where he heard the gunshot and, um, and I'm sure everybody's heard this a million times already but uh, encountered the the bad guy and uh, you know he was running there not knowing what kind of weapon the bad guy had or how many there were as, as a matter of fact but he was able to neutralize the bad guy with one shot and end of story. And, you know, you just, you have to respect a mindset like that. I mean, he, he put fear, he put everything out of his mind except protecting the people that were around him and getting this guy neutralized. And, and he did a fine job, and I don't know... I don't know what kind of uh, reward uh, Alan will be able to do or give or what their program will be, but he deserves the very best. And so do our all of our military, because they never, you know, from shore to shining sea, you never know what you're going to get into. It's... You know, the Army may walk into uh, a bad situation, but that can happen on a ship just as well. They can take a torpedo, or they can spot a submarine, an enemy submarine, or another enemy ship. And uh, I I guess it would be a fair statement to say that no matter which branch you're in, you don't necessarily always know what you're getting into. into we didn't find a way to avoid it so uh i mean as a nation right right uh so uh that's that's the nature of the armed forces you have uh you have the uh you know the the navy stays uh afloat in all sorts of areas of the world because there can be trouble and they usually carry a uh, a regiment of Marines, I think, around with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and also our, uh, merchant Marines, they, they man the, uh, these, uh, U.S., uh, naval ships, uh, that, uh, are chock full of equipment for them, these, uh, Marines. So, uh, one thing we can do, uh, is if there's trouble in, you know, country A or B, then, uh, we can load, uh, Marines onto, uh, airplanes and, and fly them there while the Navy, or I'm sorry, the Merchant Marine is bringing this equipment there. And, uh, you know, cause some of the stuff, vehicles and, uh, 
and ammunition, you know, are quite a uh, trick to haul around logistically. I did uh, a couple of times. I've done a tour of uh, Blount Island in Florida near Jacksonville, uh, and that's where basically they load and unload these uh, ships full of equipment, and uh, they take the equipment off and, you know, service it, make sure it's, uh, you know, in working order and lubricated and everything is uh, ship shape, and then they put it back on ships and send it around for another cruise. And you might think that's a great deal of expense, but uh, the trouble that it can avert uh, just by the knowledge of other countries that we have this capability is uh, is really a strategic value. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's one of the most valuable things of our Navy is their ability to uh, keep uh, uh, power projected forward uh, at all times. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, a lot of their efforts go into ship protection and, uh, and or well, I guess they call it fleet protection, force protection. Uh, my dad served in World War II on a uh, Fletcher-class destroyer, which was sort of the the coin of the realm back then. It was, uh, you know, your most common uh, ship in the Navy, and uh, the, you know the purpose of the destroyer was to uh, pretty much protect the fleet and uh, and also, you know, also engage because they had. Five-inch guns and anti-aircraft guns, and, and etc. Um, so they were able to take part in uh, bombardments, and uh, but you know they had uh, torpedoes and depth charges and uh, all sorts of things on there for fleet protection. And, uh, they're very interesting. The the, um, the only surviving sister ship of my dad's little group there uh, to this day is uh, the USS Kidd which is uh, moored as part of a, a state military and naval museum uh, for the state of Louisiana. And it's uh, right north of the I-10 bridge in Baton Rouge on the uh, east side of the Mississippi River. And uh, it was quite interesting to, to walk aboard uh, that ship. My dad recorded in his diary uh, the uh, the uh, kamikaze attack that, that hit the uh, the USS Kidd and uh, was you know interesting to walk aboard that ship uh, that occurred I think in uh, April of 1945 they towed the ship uh, somehow back to uh, San Francisco. It received uh, some upgrades and, and repairs, so it was a little more modern than, than what my dad was on uh, because of the, the upgrades they put on it. But uh, thankfully, the war was over before the, uh, the kid was ever sent back uh, for service in the fleet. Uh, but yeah, you know, that, uh, I mean, any of the services has such uh, amazing value our nation in terms of uh, our national security, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, very soon we'll get away from uh, this foolishness 
of uh, uh, turning our our uh, armed force into some sort of uh, elitist uh, woke experiment. It's, uh, it's really shameful. Yeah, they're used to uh, sending our military into harm's way. Uh, you know, I marvel, and you're certainly the historian, not me, but, you know, the we've both, and we have talked about this many times, uh, the logistics that have to go into it to uh, get the material there that's needed to back up the troops that are there or the ships that are, but more importantly than that is the, and I know you served some time in D.C., so maybe you you can possibly answer how it all works in that you, you've obviously got different branches of the military. You've got air support, the Air Force. You've got naval support, the Navy. You've got Army support, the Army. And then you've got Marine support that are generally the first in. Not always. Uh, you have the 82nd Airborne or the 101st or whatever. But, you know... And correct me if I'm wrong, but Fort McPherson used to be the central headquarters and the not the staging, but the planning fort of putting all of these different branches together when they were going into a situation. And how is, I mean, it's a, in its own way, it's a logistical thing of putting all the branches together. Uh, you'll do this, you'll do that, you're responsible for this air support, you're responsible for this intelligence air support. So, you know, give us a little overview of that, if you will, Phil. Well, uh, so our Department of Defense is organized into commands, the uniform part of it anyway is uh, organized as a command and some of them are regional command and some of them are functional command um, so the functional commands might be special operations command or transportation command uh, that sort of thing and then each command within that will have its own um, of component command like for instance transportation Transcom Transportation Command as uh, your uh, Air Mobility Command with it, which is a uh, uh, the Air Force component. It has the Naval Sea Lift Command, and uh, and then the the Army runs Military Traffic Management Command, which uh, is uh, you know surface uh, solid surface transportation of things and. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that's railroad stuff. You, would, you wouldn't think that that's uh, a concern of the Army, but rail is, is a huge strategic asset. It has been since uh, uh, James Andrews came down to uh, Kennesaw, or Big Shanty, and, and stole the general there uh, with his Ohio volunteer instrument. But the... Uh, <clears throat> so then, uh, and then there's, you know, like within... Special Operations Command, there's a, an Army component, a Navy component, you know, Air Force component. But then when you, uh, then you have your regional commands, for instance, Southern Command, 
Well, Southern Command is everything basically uh, Central and South America. Um, there's AFRICOM or Africa Command, which is the basically uh, Sub-Sahara Africa. Then there's uh, Central Command, which is uh, Middle East. There's European Command. So each of these commands has their own uh, service component in them. And then when, uh, you know, every year we go through a process where each regional command is required to uh, come up with strategic plans, uh, what if, and they have several different scenarios. And then uh, each scenario, they call for, you know, what's the troop mix, what's, what's the force mix that's going to be required to accomplish this uh, this mission. So, and then once, once they come up with the, the troop mix, then they start divvying out um, components, right? You can, well, I'm going to need three army divisions, two infantry and one uh, armored division, you know, for this thing. Or I might need two army corps to, to fight this battle or whatever. And so then they start assigning um, units to their strategic uh, involvement in various operations plans. And then uh, so they have to be resourced. And then this all goes back to the budget process where they say, well, this, these now are, you know, what we call tiered readiness, right? So if you're tier one, you get the most resources, et cetera. And... Uh, so, yeah, there is a rational process to it. Uh, and, of course, if you want to get the most resources, then you want to be, you know, the highest tier. You want to be included in the most number of different war plans and you'll get the resources applied to you. And it all falls back to the budget process, which is the reason for our Pentagon being in D.C. because... You know, it's all about the budget. They have uh, various people uh, working on different stages of the budget. They have the working on what they call the future year's defense plan. And then there's the budget year that they're preparing for the next fiscal year. Then there's, then there's the fiscal year. And then there's the, uh, there's even people who, uh, you know, the bean counters that go through and look at the, uh, well, there's the execution year, the one you're in, and then, then there's the uh, the previous year that's already spent. And they have the bean counter sit down to make sure that everything that was uh, allotted for was spent. And if not, then, you know, budgets get trimmed because that was not necessary. And, um, so uh, the Pentagon is uh, full of people concerned about the budget, essentially. You know, this is this is the side of it that uh, we well we hear about it, but we don't hear about it. And uh, you know, it's it's sort of like we and in the past, and even as we have seen today or in the last couple of days, the commander in chief snaps his fingers and uh, you know. <laughs> Don't confuse me with facts. My mind's made up. I'm sending X number of people to the border. And uh, then then it has to go back 
and be rationalized and monetized and figured out how we're doing this and what role each each party that's going down there is going to play. Are we going to put naval canoes on the on the Rio Grande? And <laughs> you know, I, I, it's just it's mind-boggling when you think of it. And I guess the military is probably one of the largest, if not the largest, businesses in the world. Yeah. Well, the uh, the uh, defense budget is the lion's share of our discretionary spending uh, each year. So, and by discretionary, I mean uh, there are other things that are obligation to pay, Social Security and pensions and uh, benefits and, and type of, you know, that we're obligated to. Uh, and then there's the discretionary spending, which means it's up, up to the administration to determine uh, where we apply dollars. Do, do we buy an aircraft carrier or do we subsidize Chinese-made solar panels? Yeah. Uh, and, of course, lately we're enriching the Chinese. But, um, you know, uh, but Desert Storm, Desert Shield, uh, those, those operations were basically operations plans that were laying around in, in Central Command headquarters. And when they were needed, they pulled them out, dusted them off. Uh, you know, Transportation Command did a fantastic job getting us there and supplying us. Then, um, uh, you know, the different, like uh, you mentioned Fort McPherson. Well, what was that Fort McPherson was U.S. Forces Command. Right, and the, that is a that was a functional command, and their function was to provide forces for whichever war plan was being executed. So, the forces command commander did, didn't command any troops in Desert Storm. They were all commanded by the combatant commander, uh, and. The combatant commander, as everybody will remember the name, Norman Schwarzkopf. Uh, and so the, the function of uh, U.S. Forces Command was to provide forces to Central Command. And, uh, and the chain of command went from uh, the combatant commander to the Secretary of Defense to the President of the United States. So that's... Uh, it's kind of, and the, the, all these others, you know, there's no uh, Navy, Air Force, Army, Marine, anybody in between Norman Schwarzkopf and the Secretary of Defense. Uh, it was a direct line. And so people like uh, Colin Powell, who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the time, uh, he was, you know, uh, welcome to give his opinion on things, but he was not the commander of anything during Desert Storm. That uh, was it was uh, Norma Schwarzkopf executing his uh, executing the war plan that had been written in advance, and then he was he made adjustments. And of course, when we went uh, when we came to blows on the ground, 
the whole uh, mass of troops, 18th Corps, shifted way out uh, to the west, and uh, they did this big uh, wheel maneuver that uh, just cut through the uh, Iraqi forces, and uh, they intentionally left them an escape route to, uh, to Baghdad, which they availed themselves. Uh, the, the Iraqis availed themselves of that, uh, but um, it was it was quite an operation. And of course, hundred hours of ground combat. What can you say? Uh, you know, some of those vehicles would take almost a hundred hours to, you know, at their cruising speed to get where they got. So it was like a hot knife through butter. Mm. Phil, let me ask you, you, you brought up something very interesting, uh, and it, it worked just in reverse for us. Uh, when I was, when, uh, President Kennedy was assassinated, uh, our, the radio station, all of media, you didn't go to the library and pull down the book that says when a president is assassinated, this is what you do. Uh, we all, we did it all. <laughs> It was all on the run, but so let me ask, uh, and and I would assume today, and I know that even during, before Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and this was a problem that we had with some of our equipment, that it was still all painted in camouflage green and greens, and was basically most of it or a lot of it was in Europe thinking that uh, our next conflict would probably be in Europe and possibly with uh, Russia or, you know, would be fighting in or far with NATO or whatever. Uh, but from what you said, you know, they, they pulled down the book, dusted it off, and there were the war plans for Iraq and the Middle East. So are you telling us that as day in and day out our military and our intelligence people are working on plans for any you know different areas of the world and or different uh, combatants in the world is that a fair statement oh yes uh, and that's why we have these regional commands I mean the whole world maybe not Antarctica but uh, the whole world basically divided up into uh, these regional commands. There's even NORTHCOM, which is uh, concerned with the North American continent, uh, and of course a lot of homeland security stuff. Uh, uh, NORAD NORTHCOM, which is the uh, you know cooperation between the United States and Canada for the air defense of our continent, uh, is, is part of Northern Command. Uh, so, you know, and I guess uh, now we've added a uh, another branch of it, and that's space. Yeah, well, that won't be a regional command, uh, but it's. I think it's more of a functional command. Well, it's uh, it's hard to say. It's. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about uh, space command. Uh, it. Uh, I'm learning now it's under the Air Force, so I guess sort of in the same way that uh, the 
the Marines are uh, under the Department of the Navy, um, but uh, I, I don't. I don't know. We, I mean, we've been doing space operations since, uh, you know, since the late 50s. Um, and, you know, uh, I know the Army has been deeply involved in, uh, in space, uh, of course, the Air Force. And, um, you know, I'm sure the Navy has their, their portion of it as well. Uh, but <clears throat> so now we have the Space Command and... I don't know. I think it's more of a, an idea to uh, increase the number of flag officers. <laughs> what do I know? I'm amazed at what you know, and always, and I, <laughs> I always compliment you on that because you you are an amazing individual, and and uh, the knowledge that that you have is just. Absolutely mind-boggling, and how it all works. And you know, we're very fortunate to have you here and and talking to us about Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and the importance of folks remembering. And you know, it did my heart good when this uh, arborist said that. You know, every chance he gets to listen to us live, he does. And if he can't listen live, he goes back to the archives. That you know, this is we're we're gaining quite a following of our veterans, and uh, you know, it's it's great to feel like we're doing something for him. And uh, you know, it's so very little compared to what they've given us. But we're going to continue to try and continue to keep all of the military, all of our veterans, no matter which war it was or how they served, in the public's eyes. So they will appreciate and, you know, appreciate. I'm very fortunate in my neighborhood. I've got my flag out. Uh, my neighbor across the street has has the big flag. He has one on the pole out. Uh, and someday maybe I'll be able to put a put a big pole out. And the problem is, is taking them in at night. But, uh, you know, we just have to respect our flag, respect our veterans that have brought our flag home to us each and every time. And when duty has called, they've answered that call, whether it's uh, the Army or Navy, Air Force, whatever it is, they have answered the call. And the one thing I, I can say about the military that I know, and, and I'm sure this is across all branches, whenever they're asked, they answer the call, and they do absolutely the best job that they can possibly do. And uh, there have been times that they've had to be a bit creative in some of their weaponry, or they've had to be a bit creative in in uh, deducing the orders that they were given and following the orders. But we have the best of the best in the world. 
Um, and, uh, you know, uh, David, uh, as you know, I'm the commander of the uh, Marietta chapter of Disabled American Veterans. And anybody who's listening is welcome to attend our meeting. Our next meeting is uh, at uh, 6.30 p.m. Uh, on the 5th of June from uh, at the, actually we hold it at the VFW post 2681 it's 140 Powers Ferry Road in Marriott uh, love to have you come out David and, and talk about your station to our members I think they'd be very interested well thank you and uh, we're going to make every effort to be out there definitely June the 5th and uh, we may have to uh, go the Uber route but we will be there. And with that being said, Phil, it's time to thank you for another great show and being with us today. And uh, I know you were you were sort of pushed from you were leading from behind. And uh, I'm glad everything went well with you. And uh, we look forward to the next time that we're together on. Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and invite any veteran that's listening, either has been listening today or listening to the archive. If you have a question or you have a comment, we'd love to hear from you. You can just, uh, and if you have a specific question to ask Phil about Desert Shield and Desert Storm, just email gm at americaswebradio.com. We'll see that Phil gets it, or if you want to discuss something, we'll be glad to discuss it with you. So everybody have a good week, a good weekend, and we will talk to you next week. And, Phil, thank you very much for today. Thank you, David. Take care. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.